When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So today I have uh, Lewis from his YouTube channel, Smalgold, as well as website. Um, on for discussion today, not necessarily an interview, but just kind of a lively discussion between us about wherever it leads us, silver, gold, uh, China, the dollar. I have a couple different things on my list I'd love to talk about. But, you know, we're, we're going to start off talking about uh, JP Morgan. Um, because actually right before I, I started recording this or, or what you're listening to here, uh, we're talking about them and, and, and I think we both had some interesting things to say about them. So first of all, uh, thanks for coming on today, Lewis. Um, and hey. maybe you can give a quick review of, of what we were just kind of talking about. Well, hi, Matt. How are you today? Good not to too have... bad, not too bad. Right. I think what we were talking about, we were batting around some ideas about J.P. Morgan and the rationale that you know, it might make sense for J.P. Morgan to have accumulated silver. It might make sense for them to have X amount of silver and that it might make sense for them at some point to pull the trigger and actually reverse that trade and make some money on it. And that's all fine. And that's speculation. The issue I have with the whole story is that other than the silver that is in the COMEX vault, we have no indication that they have silver anywhere else. Now, people have suggested they may have it in the form of silver eagles. They may have it in the form of Canadian maple leaves. They may have it in the form of bars. That's fine, but that's pure speculation. The other problem I have with it is, is not only do we not have proof or even an indication other than it might make sense for them to have it, is that why would they have it? And one rationale is, well, they have it, as I mentioned, in order to benefit from a price rise. But the big issue I have with that analysis is if J.P. Morgan has been accused of, and many people believe, that they are one of the grand manipulators on behalf of the U.S. government to keep the price of silver down. Why would they want to let the silver price go up in order to profit? Because they have so many other ways of profiting. They make, I think the other day I reported, they, they, they make $24 billion a year not profiting off the of silver. And I think that it's possible if you just want to speculate on silver that they may or may not have, if they're acting on behalf of the government, Matt, that maybe they have that silver in the event that there is some type of silver shortage and it may drive the price up and maybe decouple the price, the paper and the physical price. Well, then that problem is solved. If they're acting on behalf of the government, as some people think, then they can use that silver to flood the market, not to profit, but to actually suppress the price of silver. So I don't I. I understand that there's some uh, interesting speculation, but what I object to is that people almost accept it as fact that they have a certain amount of silver, and then they say, well, you can't prove that they don't. But as you and I discussed, the burden of proof is on the person making the assertion, not somebody saying you can't prove that they don't have it. And then I don't buy the assumption that even if they did have it, they would have it for the purposes of driving the price higher. It may be they have it for the purposes of driving the price lower. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you know, and and you already kind of covered this, the distinction between 
what they openly claim to have on the COMEX, somewhere around 140, 140 million plus ounces of silver. And then what some others claim they might potentially have, you know, 750, 800 million ounces. And I'm kind of, I'm there with you. I'm highly doubtful of, of those higher numbers. It's conceivable, but but we don't have any hard data on that. Um, the, the lower end number, numbers, I, I do, you know, I, I don't know. We should doubt those as well to some extent. Um, I mean, A, it's, it's, we, we do talk about how something like the COMEX is is a paper market. And, and, and you know, it's not to say that there is no silver on the COMEX. I think when people say uh, that the COMEX is a paper market and that it's it doesn't operate like a physical, purely physical market would, what they mean is that, you know, the, the, the open interest on the COMEX at any given time uh, might be equal to, you know, like a year's worth of production of silver. You know, it's a massive amount of silver, even though the amount of silver in the COMEX is, is way less. But... You know, I, we, we can we can doubt that number the same for the same reason that we can doubt what, um, you know, uh, JP Morgan is a custodian for SLV, but SLV or other ETPs, uh, exchange traded products, what they claim to have. Same reason or for the same reasons we can doubt um, that, you know, the U.S. has the, the gold that they claim they have. Same reason that we can doubt that, um, you know, the, the Germany or, or China or Russia or, or Kazakhstan, the, the gold that they claim to have at their central bank. Sure, we can doubt these numbers because none of us realistically can verify it but you know at least we have numbers for that 140 ish million ounces now um, well, hold on but matt there is a, there is a distinction between doubting what the us has what china has there's actually the government is saying that they have it and so it's good to or it's slv they say they have it but and, and it's healthy to doubt that but when someone says Oh, I think they have 600. Of course you should oh, doubt yes, that because yes, yes, yes. no one is saying that they have that. JP Morgan hasn't said we have 800 million ounces, a billion ounces of silver. Right. All, there's, all they're asserting is that there is 145 million ounces of silver in their COMEX depository, and they don't even assert ownership over it. It's possible it is theirs, but that's the you can that, that makes sense to uh, doubt. It's healthy to speculate on that, but Someone saying they have more silver than that, of course you have to doubt that. There's right. not even there's not even an official number or a bank number or a government number saying that they have that much. Because I can say, well, Goldman Sachs has uh, 600 million ounces of silver. And your first reaction would be, I doubt that. Of course it should be. Where does it say Goldman Sachs? And I can make an argument that I think Goldman Sachs, too, should also be acquiring silver. Why should they let J.P. Morgan get away with grabbing all that silver? Goldman Sachs is a big bank. Goldman Sachs has the same interests as J.P. Morgan has. Goldman Sachs wants to protect itself. Why wouldn't they have it? Yeah, yeah. And to to be clear, that's exactly what I was saying. That yes, we should have a a high amount of doubt about those numbers that that we don't have any stated. You know, there's nowhere nowhere has a Comex or a J.P. Morgan said that they own that 800 million ounces. Um, whereas what, what I was talking about, uh, we we can doubt somewhat or speculate on the veracity of the claims of the 140 million ounces basically that's that too saying. yeah that yeah. too exactly yeah a lot of people always say you can't trust the comics numbers okay then in that by that recognition then we can't even say that jp morgan has 145 million ounces in its comics default default yeah yeah and and you know to to be clear you know we were talking about this before uh, or a little bit earlier um you can go too far in the other direction and when we we're talking about this article it, it was you know, if you Google uh, J.P. Morgan silver COMEX vault, something like that, um, you, you, one of the top results very well might be this article from. Uh, it wasn't written by Eric Sprott, but it was written by. It was over on like Sprott News or Media or something on like Sprott Money, and it was um, 
basically this guy saying that uh, not only does is he doubtful of those claims of, of 140 million ounces that, that they claim to have, or whatever it was back then, it's probably even less uh, when it was wrote. This was a couple years old, I think. Um, but he says that there's no way that they could have accumulated that much silver without uh, the, the market kind of ended up in a, in a Hunt Brothers situation where the, the price of silver is going sky high because, because somebody's cornering the market. Now that I take issue with because I think absolutely, uh, whether, you know, even if they did it, and we're not saying they are, but even if they did want to accumulate 800 million ounces over five years, they could do it, but certainly Easily. 140 million because, you know, if you look at 140 million, I use a billion, you know, a nice round number. It's not perfect, but for the yearly supply coming onto the market between scrap and mining. So 140 million, that's 14% um, over five years, you know, five, six years that they've been accumulating it. Whereas you look at a country like India, and, and you've been reporting on this, uh, thus far in 2018, they're on pace to import uh, like 250 million ounces. And it's not all investment demand, but that's like a quarter of a yearly demand in in one year, right? Exactly. And the, and, the price, and the price didn't move up at all. It went down. Right, right. Or, or, or look at um, the, the U.S. Mint. I, I was looking at these numbers. I was uh, uh, on my video I, I published earlier today. Um, in 2015, they they minted and sold. I think it's 47 million coins. Correct. Right. I mean that's that's uh, a pretty decent amount. I mean, uh, J.P. Morgan it, would have had to just buy that three years in a row and and to to get uh, roughly to get to where they're at right now. Um, and yet, the the price hasn't gone up. It's it's gone down um, the whole time. And so I think you know obviously you and I would agree that enough investment demand can drive up the price. But if you spread it out far enough, it's absolutely uh, possible. It's absolutely conceivable. Right. So what you're saying is, is that amount of silver being bought doesn't mean that you couldn't have bought that amount without the price rising. I agree. But it also doesn't prove that they did buy that amount. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, we, yeah. I mean, we, we don't know. I mean, you're right um, about the COMEX. And, and All we can say is it's possible that JP Morgan or any other entity could have accumulated 800 million ounces over the last five years of silver without it driving the price higher. Right. We, but, we've seen know, large flows of silver and gold not move the price of silver yeah. or gold. Yeah. And, and yeah, we can doubt that. But at least it gives us a little bit of a better concrete data to to then kind of draw some conclusions or, or speculate on for the same reason that we could draw some conclusions on hey, uh, China, they're, they're accumulating, they're, they're importing gold and they're mining a ton of gold that they're mostly keeping within their borders or, <laughs> or India's importing a ton of silver or Kazakhstan's stacking gold. You know, we can use that and we can, we can kind of infer some stuff from that, even if we don't know for sure that any of those countries, you know, have a, a single ounce of gold for sure because I haven't been to Kazakhstan, I haven't been to their central bank, but at least we have a, a, a starting point as opposed well, there's, to there's no reason to doubt. I would say there's no reason to doubt the numbers that Kazakhstan is reporting. They do have gold mining production. They're not saying that they are adding to reserves more gold than they actually produce. China is obviously a gold mining country. Uh, no one doubts that they're mining a lot of gold. No one doubts that they're investing in gold mines around the world. No one is really doubting the gold flows through Hong Kong into China or the gold flows into India. So there's certain numbers we have to take with some credibility, but there's other numbers you could, and, and you can doubt those too. There's nothing wrong with doubting them. And you can come up with reasons to doubt them because every bit of official data has in it the seeds of some reason to fudge it for whatever reason. And you know, you see it with employment numbers, inflation numbers. It's not 
particular to India, China, or the U.S., all governments have an interest in potentially uh, screwing up with the numbers. But generally, they try to screw up with the numbers only in ways that you can't detect that actually would pass the smell test. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. I don't think the numbers we're seeing of Indian gold imports or Kazakhstan gold reserves or Russia, Russia's adding gold to her reserves at a very rapid rate, but it's consistent with the amount of gold production that they have, which is still less. So they're not adding every ounce that they produce to their reserves. And, and I, I, I basically do trust those numbers. I don't trust numbers when somebody says, I think they're doing this and here's my rationale because you can make rationale, and that's fine. If that's speculation, that's speculation. I think people need to distinguish between speculation, official numbers, and being suspicious of official numbers. Yeah. And I well, think I'm be being suspicious, I'm most suspicious of numbers that are just rationalized as opposed to at least being able to point to a particular piece of official data, which also should be viewed uh, suspiciously. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you can really go down a rabbit hole if you do speculate too much on on unverified facts. I was was reading this article over on um, Silver Doctors. It was a uh, report by um, what's his name? Harry Dent. I always want to say Harvey Dent. And I think that's like the Batman character. But uh, basically what he was saying is is that um, all this this silver that uh, J.P. Morgan holds. Some people have have thought in the past that, hey, J.P. Morgan's holding this because it's a physical asset and and one day paper assets are going to fall a ton and and who knows maybe it's going to add some stability to the bank and and so that they don't go under like other banks or something like that some people take it a step further and saying that hey jp morgan and, and many of these other banks are owned by the u.s government or 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 have close ties to them and that they're going to help stabilize the u.s government in the event of a collapse well he's i mean you can go down rabbit hole with this and and here he's um basically saying that um he believes jp morgan owns this silver, which is owned by the U.S. government because the U.S. government owns J.P. Morgan, which is then owed to China. And so oh. he, he, he is able to say that the, the, the title of this article or whatever um, is, is titled like uh, China is, is uh, soaking up all the, the silver demand that it can through the U.S. government because U.S. government owns this silver loan to China that, that I wasn't aware of. And, of course, uh, the U.S. government, of course, owns J.P. Morgan and that they're soaking up. You can go down a rabbit hole without um, verified data. And, and you know, there's 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 many people that unfortunately do that. And uh, they're, well, they're you know, popular. The, the issue, though, is because people start with the idea that silver or gold are at the center of the universe. And the reason that story with China doesn't make sense is there's so many other issues going on with China. The amount of silver, the, the value of silver today is insignificant compared to when you're talking about $200, 500000000000 billion worth of tariffs. I mean, a billion ounces of silver is worth $12, $12 billion. Yeah. We're not even talking about those amounts. So the fact that they would be heavily involved in some type of deal with China to screw them out of their silver – you can buy, as we saw, you can just go out and buy 300 million ounces worth of silver like India did in 2015. It's going to cost you seven, eight billion. It's not going to cost you that much. It's the same issue I have with the 8,133 8, ounces of tons of gold that the U.S. is supposed to have and people say they don't have. And I think people don't know how much gold is worth. Russia's gold hoard, 2,000 tons, big gold hoard, is only worth $79 billion. And it's the same issue. If the U.S. somehow supposedly doesn't have the gold 
that it has, and it's some type of disaster. You don't think they can go out and buy 2,000 tons of gold, print up $79 billion, and get it if they needed it? And it's almost like, why can't they? If they don't have it, it's not hard to get, and you wouldn't move the markets uh, to get 2,000 tons of gold every few years, and they could have built back their 8,133 tons. So people want to believe these things, that the U.S. doesn't have gold. And not only do they want to believe that, they want to believe that it would have some type of devastating consequence as a result. So we see this a lot. We see the idea where somebody speculates on a fact, and then from the fact, they speculate what the catastrophic uh, consequence would be, just like we see with J.P. Morgan. We speculate they have X amount of silver, and then we speculate, we assume they have that, and then we speculate from that what it's going to mean. And again, that's fun to do, but you have to look at the reality of it. For example, with the U.S. gold, if the U.S. really didn't have gold and it was really important that they had it, the U.S. mines gold. They could buy it. And when you, they, you, if they were to go out and get the gold, it would drive the price up? No, it wouldn't. So if the U.S. really needed to have gold and somehow it didn't have the 8,100 tons of gold, they can get it. And a lot of people, they, they accept this fact. I see people almost, they sarcastically say, ha, 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 I have more gold than the U.S. has. As if it's a fact that the U.S. doesn't have gold because they've heard constantly gold commentators insist the U.S. doesn't have gold. And they've offered no proof to show that they don't have it other than there hasn't been an audit of the gold in however many years since the 1950s. But that doesn't prove that the gold isn't there. It just doesn't prove that the gold is there. And, and that's a problem I have. And I think all of these types of stories actually do more harm than good to the gold and silver markets because people expect somehow that these cherry pick fact or non-facts or speculation are facts. And then they assume that what's going to happen is gold and silver set to skyrocket. And we've seen years of these types of stories and gold and silver do not skyrocket, which brings us to another point, Matt, that you and I were talking about is Gold and silver are not supposed to skyrocket, other than in a total collapse, in which case you then have to sell them, as we're seeing that Turkey is doing now. It's selling its gold reserves because it has a crisis. So I think people are buying into these stories that they're going to get rich and their, their gold and silver is set to skyrocket. And then when they don't skyrocket, they're set up for disappointment. And I think the whole ecosystem loses credibility for promoting these types of stories. What do you think? Yeah, well, I get to that in a second. I think I misspoke actually earlier. See, the reason that I was saying Harvey Dent, there's a, um, okay, so it was Harvey Organ that I was talking about. Ah, okay. I didn't think Harry Dent got involved with silver. No, no, no. I, because Harry Dent, yeah, totally different. Because I think I read- uh, Harry part. Dent is against gold, but I don't think he comments on silver. No, no. Uh, but he was, I, I, I could have sworn I recently saw an article where Harry Dent was predicting uh, you know, calamity for, for China's economy, which is a topic for another video. But but you're right that, you know, despite their, their massive uh, gold um, hordes in China, you know, I think um, a, a potential economic collapse or what, you know, a major downturn to China's economy, which is very much possibility given their, their uh, credit bubble right now. Um, it's a... Uh, which a lot of people, they overlook. They just say China has gold, China's set right. to ride out the storm. No way. It it, it, it it helped them. They'd be better off doing oh, that than, than buying. They're better off than not having it. Yes. 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 Better, or, or just, just, just you know, like Turkey. Just like yeah. Turkey was better absolutely. off having it. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But no, yeah. Harry Dent, I think, was saying that that they're in, in for trouble. So I, was, I, I, I get them the two confused. Uh, I combine their names together. But anyways, um, yeah, you're, t you're talking about, yeah, people getting set up for failure. And I put out a video yesterday 
uh, it was like, uh, um, are, are you making these these mistakes, these silver stacking mistakes and, and gold stackers as well? And, you know, one of the big mistakes that I see a lot of people make is that they, you know, one day they decide to go on YouTube or or on the Internet or whatever, and, and they go down a rabbit trail. We, we've all been on this. We've all been on this hole. And uh, and, and all of a sudden they they see this video from such and such person saying that silver and gold are are going to the moon. Um, which which is okay. It's it's one thing to be bullish on it, but but they'll oftentimes also give a very specific time constraint. It's going to happen by the end of this year. It's going to happen within the next month or something like that for reasons A, B, and C. And either A, you stand to profit from this, or B, if you don't get in now, you're going to be in a world of hurt because you're going to be out of a job. You're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your right. everything. Um, and so they they and, and maybe that's a bit of an extreme, but people get caught up in this. It, it's got to happen right now. And so what they do is they go out with a ton of enthusiasm or fear or patience or sorry, passion, not patience, but they, they buy a ton, probably more than they should, maybe not, but, but they buy a bunch and then these predictions don't come to pass and now they're kind of disillusioned and, and, and you know, it, it's, you know, great for, for maybe those that are, that are, are trying to, to generate sell, sales over the short term, but over the long term, it's not a good strategy at all, you know? Oh. And, and, and I mean, it's long term, the, the people that, I, I would say stack the most silver and gold are those that um, make it a, a, a part of their life, a lifetime habit, a lifetime of, of stacking silver and gold for retirement, or as you said earlier, uh, inheritance or whatever. Um, I think that's, uh, it's, it's a long-term, it's gonna be a stable thing. Whatever you, whatever you consider it, if it's, a, if it's insurance, if it's a hedge, if it's, if it's a savings account or a speculative investment, whatever, you have to understand, you have to go in with it. Uh, the mindset of it being a long-term stable process. You know, some people have said, you know, it, if you're going to buy silver you or, or gold or whatever, um, only buy it if you are willing to hold on to it for potentially 10 years, right? And, and if that's not the case, then, okay, maybe if you really, if you want to play the speculative market over the short term, then, then I don't know. Use buy, other tools. Use paper tools or, or something like that. I don't right, know. right. Or or buy um, biotech stocks or cryptocurrency sure. if you want to speculate. But you know, one thing I like to look at is you're saying that gold and silver are insurance. Well, then don't be disappointed or try to predict when your house is going to burn down if it doesn't happen. <laughs> or don't be upset that you know you haven't had a car accident yet. I mean, the, the idea that somehow you're going to predict dollar collapse on this date or this is over, game over. If you wish for those, I, those, um, you, you should never wish, I believe, if you're rational, for an insurable event to happen unless you're trying to commit fraud. So you own a uh, real estate property that's losing money and, and you want to get the insurance and it burns down, then you're happy. Sure. But, but for insurable items that you do not want the event to happen, such as your house burning down, you're having an accident, a catastrophic health bill, the reason you have insurance is not so you wish for those to happen. And I think a lot of people have gold and silver. They don't have it for insurance. They have it because they expect gold and silver to skyrocket. But generally, they only skyrocket in real, real collapse situations like we're seeing Venezuela, Iran, Turkey. Gold is skyrocketing, but those countries are in collapse. They're in yeah. a position, if you lived in those countries, even if you had gold, you probably would have preferred that those collapses didn't happen and that you could still walk the streets and buy goods and services without having to worry about whether what's going to happen to your country, whether there's going to be running water, whether there's going to be food in the grocery store. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I think there's a, I wouldn't consider it a full-blown like insurance, like you're, you're not hoping for it to happen because, you know, I don't necessarily want a collapse to happen. It's just more so that, you know, I think at some point, I, I could be wrong. And we talked about this earlier, hedging your bets. And, and you sure. know, that's why I, um, uh, my, my long-term plan to, to build wealth is, is not to buy silver and wait for it to go up, but it's going to be using skills. It's going to be working. I mean, that's, that's how a lot of people, you know, create wealth in the first place. Um, but you know, we, take for example, uh, th this idea of a collapse, I don't know when it's going to happen a year from now, five years from 10 years from now, whatever. But you know, the difference between, um, that the possibility of your house burning down, which is a low possibility for the most part, unless you live in, in, in California next to a, a, a drought stricken area or, or something like that, you know, the possibility is pretty low. Whereas I would say, uh, in, in places like the United States or something, I think we can say with, with a reasonable amount of certainty that, Sure, maybe there's not going to be a full-blown collapse, but things are going to get much worse. You know, you, you look at um, things like like uh, like the national debt, or or just the fact that our, our economy as a whole is a consumption-based economy, and, and most of that consumption uh, comes from, I mean, debt. I mean, the, uh, mm -hmm. it's it's a uh, well, the whole world is based on that. It's not yeah. just the U.S. Yeah, and and so you know, at some point, it kind of becomes a a, a mathematical exercise. Like, yeah, I don't know when this is going to happen, but. I can see with a reasonable certainty that that the United States um, probably has uh, seen better days right now, and and we're probably going to see some much much worse days before we see better days again because of of kind of the the hole we've dug ourselves in. And so you know, I, I think you can say like, yeah, I I I know this is most likely going to happen eventually. Maybe it's going to be a full blown collapse. Maybe it's just going to be a major decline because of of whatever. Um, but you know, it's it's a it's a little bit more of a certainty, I think, with uh, people that that are investing in precious metals versus just taking insurance out in your house. You know, I, I view it as maybe an insurance, um, in the sense that, uh, well, not unlike a hedge, I guess. You know, if if you're investing in, in heavily in, in one asset or, or a couple assets that could drop a ton, well, then then great, you have a hedge in precious metals, which which might not drop as much or might rise in that situation. Yes, we did discuss this the other night on the Small Gold Channel. We discussed whether gold, and, and to a certain extent silver, is an investment, an asset, money, or insurance. And I came down, and it wasn't really insurance. It was more, as you're saying, a hedge. And you did see that the U.S. posted a $214 billion deficit in August. That's one of the, the largest amounts. And that brings the current deficit to $21 trillion. But One thing I like to point out, whenever people mention the U.S. debt situation is untenable, and it is, and I don't disagree with that, but the debt situation in China, Japan, the EU, yeah. is, is in some instances worse. Yeah. And one of the things people say about China is, well, they bought, they've at least built stuff. They have infrastructure. Actually, infrastructure is the worst thing you can build when you have a collapse, because if there's no economic activity, then having infrastructure is even more useless. And then it has to be kept up to date. It has to be maintained. And if it's not making any money, then it's a liability. It's not even an asset. So you're better off, in a way, having a service-based economy uh, in a collapse than one that has built up a lot of stuff that there's no there's no need for, no way to profit from having it around. So I think the world is in a situation where the entire debt-based, credit-driven economy, because that that's how they drive GDP. There's no two ways about it. Is, is in for an awakening and at some point. And the only reason it hasn't happened so far, I believe, is that all countries are involved in believing each other's nonsense, that they accept each other's debt 
as an asset and they hold on to it and they think, see, I have on my balance sheet X amount of assets because it says the U.S. owes me this amount of money, ECB owes me this amount of money, Japan. But they don't expect to get paid, but they don't mind it. They don't get paid. And it's one of those things, it's the old cliche, it doesn't matter until it does. But the consequences of it mattering are so catastrophic that none of the countries, not China, not none of them want to fess up to the fact that there's more debt in the system than there is potential productive capacity and certainly uh, tax revenues to pay for it all. Yeah, and I mean, eventually you're, you're going to get to to that, uh, you know, Minsky Min moment. Minsky moment, absolutely. Yeah, yeah where, where, where more debt is... is not conducive to additional economic growth and and you know for the for the listeners and viewers you know what i'm talking about is is that debt creation can drive economic growth over the short term i did this video i put out a video the other day titled are are hurricanes good for the economy no of course not but over the short term the debt that is accrued and the spending that takes place can mm -hmm. stimulate economic growth but over time and you're seeing this in china places like china and many other places right now um over time, you know, at first it might be a, a dollar of spending, for example, um, equals uh, one dollar of, of economic growth. Right. Uh, but then later on, it takes two dollars of debt to stimulate one dollar of economic growth. Exactly. And eventually it's going to be ten dollars, hundred dollars of debt to, you know, but eventually that Minsky moment is, is where more debt creation actually leads to, to economic uh, contraction. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you're 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 uh, you're absolutely right. We, we, all these countries are, are kind of messed up and. and maybe it's just going to take some some kind of friction between different countries. I mean, I think of, you know, the emerging market crisis right now. Um, some of these countries are, uh, I guess, less developed economies. And, and, and perhaps um, when when some of them try to, I guess, buck the trend and, and, and not do what they're supposed to do and, and accept IMF bailouts or something, I'm, I'm thinking of a place like Turkey, you know, mm -hmm. or you have a friction between, um, what are supposed to be partner partner states like uh, like Italy and and Germany or Italy and the EU? You know, when you have that type of friction, then maybe they're not so willing to to let the other off the hook. But even then, you know, it's uh, even if um, if not best in, in Germany's best interest to to help Italy, um, or or it's not in the U.S.'s best interest or IMF or whoever to help Turkey. In the end, it kind of is because if if one domino falls, you know, eventually many others will. Um, I actually had a question here about. Oh, uh, I wanted to talk about the dollar with you. Um, okay. The the well, basically the strong dollar um, because it, it is relevant, I think, to precious metals. Obviously. Yep. Um, I want to give you, get your take on how much longer uh, Trump is, and it's not just Trump, but how much longer is he going to kind of put up with a kind of strong dollar policy. I mean, I think of it as this way, you know, the idea of a strong dollar policy, it, it sounds like something, j just when you look at the word, never mind the implications, but the strong dollar policy, it sounds like tr something Trump would be in favor of, right? Like a strong currency, strong, you know, he wants a strong, make America grading and everything. But it also um, definitely is, is not conducive to, to some of the other efforts that he's making in terms of trade. It's, it's, it's not good for the trade deficit. Um, actually, actually it is. Let, let me explain. No, go for it. Okay, so first of all, strong dollar is relative. Sure. And what all the countries do that are in this game together is they make sure that the currencies act within a band. The dollar is never going to go up 30%, and it's not going to go down 30%, just like the EU, because they all have open market operations and their foreign exchange debts. And so if their currency is getting too strong, they'll sell their own currency. 
or vice versa, they'll buy mm-hmm. it. So they all they all work in a way where they allow certain things to happen. Now, let's talk about Turkey and then and then China. So Turkey, the United States clearly wants to punish Turkey. And when the Turkish lira fell, the United States was like, okay, fell. <laughs> We're not going to buy Turkish lira. We're not going to sell dollars. And no one else did either. And they allowed the Turkish lira to collapse. And why? They want Turkey to get screwed. Now, look over at China. A strong dollar, you say, well, Trump wants um, a weaker dollar because he wants to create this export uh, machine. And obviously, if you have a strong dollar, it's not going to happen. However, he also knows, I believe, or this is my view, that if he's going to slap tariffs on China, that's going to make things more expensive. However, he also knows that China is not going to say, well, screw this. We're not going to ship any more goods to the U.S. What China is going to do is two things. They're going to eat it and they're going to uh, either subsidize their exporters to the U.S. or provide tax subsidies or tax cuts. And if the U.S. has a strong dollar, that cushions the blow of the price of the goods coming in from China. See, because if the dollar was weak, then it would cost even more for Chinese goods to come in. So I think temporarily, until the U.S., if ever, becomes more of an exporter, it makes sense to have a strong dollar to to offset the increase in price of Chinese goods coming in. So if China is helping to offset the price of the goods coming in, the impact of the 20, 25% tariffs, a stronger dollar also helps. So the U.S. isn't harmed as, as much. So short term, a strong dollar, they have a strong dollar policy when it suits them. And then when it doesn't suit them, the U.S. can always sell dollars and weaken the dollar. But right now it makes sense for the U.S. to cause this kind of crisis in Iran and Turkey because they don't like those countries. It also helps to have a stronger dollar because they want to offset the price of the of Chinese imported goods by having a strong dollar, which means you can buy more Chinese goods. So essentially what you're saying is that yes, Sits them now. Uh, yeah, a weaker dollar potentially could help us if we ever switch. I see it as, as pretty doubtful in the near future, but but switching to more of an export manufacturing export based economy. Um, but since that's we're, we're not there not, yet, we're, that's we're, not the reality right now. That that a strong dollar at least helps keep uh, prices relatively low for consumers, for you know, correct. specifically from China. Okay, yeah, that makes po- sense. Because politically, if Trump slapped these tariffs on and we had massive inflation on Chinese goods, and that's where most of the consumer spending is on Chinese goods, yeah, they'd run them out of office. Yeah, yeah, and and you know what I find interesting is is how that meshes or doesn't mesh or whatever with with uh. Uh, some of Trump's comments on uh, the Fed. I mean, he, uh, well, I mean, he hasn't been super vocal about it. I mean, the, the Fed chairman is again that he appointed, but he's he's not a fan of the Fed continuing on this tightening policy. Um, and, and obviously, if the Fed were right. to, to slow it down, stop it or, or reverse it and, and actually loosen monetary policy, um, well, then we have a weak dollar, which could keep the economy going on a little bit longer, poten- potentially. Um, could ease conditions and maybe for the duration of his first term or so in theory, but, uh, but that's not, that's not strong dollar. It's not what him and, and, uh, Larry Kudlow have been, uh, talking about for so long. Right. I mean, there's, there's not just the impact of fed rate hikes on the dollar. There certainly does help strengthen the dollar, but the main concern I think they're worried about is the impact on the ability to create credit. So people can buy cars, people can buy yes. houses and so on. So, I think the Treasury, if it wanted to, can support a weaker dollar or a stronger dollar through its operations. 
the Fed can help, but only the Fed can handle interest rates, which can impact the macroeconomics of consumer spending. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I wonder also, you know, talking about Fed tightening, I, I've for a long time now, I've been talking about how Fed tightening and uh, uh, some other fiscal policy by, by the U.S. government, mainly they're then accumulating more debt than investors had previously expected, how that is kind of contributing to this this emerging market crisis that people haven't really talked about too much for the last week, but it's absolutely still there uh, in countries like Turkey, uh, Brazil, Argentina, um, South Iran. Africa, and yes, Iran, South Africa, yes, yes, South uh, Africa. Um, you know, Pakistan to some extent. You know, India, India. You know, just about every emerging market, for the well, most the, part. The rupee's at an all-time low right now. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's they've all been impacted in some way, just some worse than others, usually because of of their individual. Uh, uh, political problems and whatnot. But um, yeah, I, I wonder, you know, maybe you have some insight onto that because ultimately I, it's not in full-blown contagion mode right now to more developed markets, the EU, US, right. Japan, et cetera. But, you know, if, if, if we're here six months from now, the Fed is fully ramped up their, their quantitative tightening. They've hiked interest rates by another half percentage point, three quarters, whatever. Um, where are we at right then? I mean, that's emerging markets are going to be in even a worse position, and, and the threat of a contagion, if it hasn't already happened, is would be extremely high at that point. Yeah, it's interesting because the contagion effect of Turkey would affect the EU the most because they have money invested in yeah in uh, Turkey. Uh, Iran obviously is going to affect those trading with Iran. The U.S. has sanctions on Iran. This seems to be a very big bold move by the United States. Uh, against even its own partners, including Europe. And it seems that Trump is is very bold in, in this regard, um, asking NATO to pay more, uh, working on with Canada and the EU, slapping tariffs on them. He's definitely an America first move. And even if there is global contagion, now the, the question is, is whether he could pull that off and not have it come back on our shores. It's not like the United States is immune. But in a way, it's more immune than Europe is to an emerging market crisis and more than some of the target countries. Uh, and they can also make special arrangements with countries that they're favorable with. The U.S. still has the, the dollar as the world's, I wouldn't say necessarily the world's reserve currency, but what most countries are using. And it can use that as a weapon. And I don't think the U.S. has used it as much in the past. They may have done military actions, some say, to protect the dollar, but they haven't wielded the dollar as much as I think they're doing now with, uh, you know, you can't use the SWIFT system. Now, some say that what this does is it encourages other um, alternative systems like the Chinese payment system, people trading in other currencies. That's all true. But there's a cost to doing that because it's yeah. not currently as efficient it's not currently as uh, advantageous than if they were just on the dollar system now, who knows if that'll change it's a i think it's a bold move to try to reestablish the united states in a much more powerful position than it was 5 10 15 years ago yeah you know that was, that was another thing i kind of had in my list is, is some of these countries um sure maybe this this strong dollar maybe we're tar targeting iran turkey some other countries that we don't aren't necessarily a fan of but but the collateral damage has been extensive. Yes. Every emerging market, basically. But, but now, not in the U.S. yet. See, that's the No, issue. no, no. You're correct. Not in the U.S. yet. Uh, stocks are, what, a 
close to an all-time high. I mean, maybe it, maybe it drives capital to the U.S. as a result. I, of I that. think it. I think it absolutely has. I mean, it's 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 a bit of a. Um, I don't know if self-fulfilling prophecy is the right mm. at some point, kind of. But but you know, you have Turkey. Uh, you know, those that hold Turkish assets. Um, Turkey's economy goes belly up. Well, they move their they move their their capital, their investments, whatever, into the dollar, the bonds, um, to to U.S. equities, and and you know. Well, some, have, someone asked me today before I forget. You know, the Turks sold four point five billion dollars worth of gold. I wonder who was on the other end of that. Yeah, who well, who, who grabbed that gold? Was it the U.S.? Was it China? Yeah, that's a good question. But uh, but yeah, I mean, and they're selling all this to, to get into. I mean, U.S., maybe maybe some other, you know, the euro or whatever else. But, um, you know, you, you add on to that. Well, well, now that they've done that, now that they've gone into the dollar, they've they've uh, exacerbated kind of this this dollar shortage or expensive dollar overseas. And and now it's made the problem worse for all the other emerging markets. And so people follow suit in those markets and move into the dollar and, and the U.S. system. And it makes it worse and worse and worse. And so I, I think we've absolutely seen that. And, and you're right. I mean, I, I've said this, that, you know, as this emerging market crisis plays out sure there is going to be a lot of money that flows into the u.s system into the dollar um into u.s equities as well as you know euro and, and the yen and whatnot um but I, I i still don't think that you know if we have significant i don't know damage to to the economies of of not just turkey but we're talking brazil argentina south mm-hmm. africa india um potentially you know mexico uh eh, Eventually, that's going to spill over, and, and and I do think that the U.S. will be probably last or close to last on that list. I mean, the other ones that I would right. think of as having a high exposure to emerging markets would be um, the EU, uh, China, and then two other countries. Well, I should say Japan and South Korea as well, and then the other two countries that I think are just overdue for, for a, a major decline in their economies, um, Australia and, and Canada. But um, – but the U.S. very well could be last, and they could benefit from it over the short term, stronger well, dollar, et cetera. A lot of these, a lot of these events that, if you take to the logical conclusions, if nothing else changes, then would lead to an issue. So, for example, the end of the petrodollar. People have been going with that narrative for a long time, but things have changed because Saudi Arabia is no longer the world's largest oil exporter. That's not why people hold dollars. Indeed, the United States is now a major oil exporter. So. That demand is now why people might need some dollars to buy oil from the U.S. So we see those type of changes. The only thing, and and that's why anything that's happening now is subject to change, but the only thing that is on an inexorable path towards nothing can change it is the debt. That's it. Everything else you could say, well, what's happening now, if it continues, will cause a crisis. Maybe not because there's always some superseding, intervening event that can change it. But the debt, they can't. Everything, every country just keeps adding more and more debt, and that's the issue. Yeah, well, well and nothing, you know, nothing can change that. Yeah, because you know, it, I, it's not going down. I, I should add, you know, talking about this emerging market crisis. Um, so, so Turkey's got their own political issues. Uh, Brazil has their own political issues, and on and on. South Africa is dealing with major issues there as well. But kind of the overarching theme that I already discussed here has been. Uh, Fed policy and how it's affected the dollar because these countries are so reliant on the dollar in the first place. And so you're right. I mean, this doesn't have to lead to a full-blown crisis this time around, but I also think that there's a good chance that that one of the things that could stop this crisis, and this might not happen until it starts to kind of reach U.S. shores, it would be the Fed. 
it would likely yeah, be the yeah. Fed because because well, the that, other side they're the, they're the cause of the whole thing since 1913. Right. I mean, the Fed and and you know the other piece of it is is U.S. Um, the U.S. government and their uh, uh, issuance of of treasury bonds and then how that soaked up uh, U.S. Uh, dollars and that as well. But that's obviously, as you just said, that debt, the path, the U.S. path towards more and more debt, that's not going to change. Whereas the Fed, they very well could say, hey, we're going to cut back on this quantitative tightening. We're going to hold off on more rate hikes or, you know, if it gets bad enough, uh, reverse it altogether, which, I mean, I think eventually is is coming. As you said, the debt is unstoppable. It's 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 the one sure thing that's going to go up and up. Just, well, that and, and that currencies are, are over the long term going to become worth less and less. Uh, and... You know, are are they going to allow the the entire debt based system to to fall apart because of of just a huge deflationary event? I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I, but I've always kind of been doubtful of that long term that that they're going to turn. I agree to... with you. The only thing is, I'm amazed at how long they're able to come up with financial shenanigans to quote kick the can down the road, and and that's why you never know when it hits. Uh, the people in Turkey probably didn't expect it. Venezuela, Iran. It could hit in the United States at some point. I'm not betting for or against it, but it's clearly a possibility. And I think those are the reasons why you own precious metals, not for it to skyrocket, just to have your insurance set away. Right, right. We don't know where the stock market is going to be in five or ten years from now. Nope. But, but we know that uh, we could we could say with probably 99% certainty that the U.S. debt is going to continue most likely on its exponential path to more and more debt, or world debt, I should say. World right? debt, we exactly. We should exactly. ignore them. And and also that, you know, as a whole, fiat currencies, the dollar might be stronger relative, or it could be weaker, but as a whole, they're they're all going to be weaker five or ten years from now. I mean, that's those are almost sure bets. Um, well, if, credit, if it's credit creation, the credit creation creates more currency, then by definition, if there's not... The, at least the equivalent amount of productive capacity or production from that, then that is what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we should wrap this up. Sure. Yeah, it's been good talking. I think we're at like 50, 55, or 45 or 47 minutes, something like that. But um, but yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, I'd love to have you on again. It's, it's been good talking to you. And uh, for, for my viewers, I, I don't know if you're, you're probably going to show this on your channel as well, correct? Sure. Let's just exchange where we can see each other's content. Matt, you go first. Oh, yeah. Um, pretty much just YouTube. Um, and if you, yeah, YouTube, Silver Fortune. Um, I put out videos uh, usually every day, um, variety of topics. I mean, I think people kind of assume, you know, Silver Fortune, this guy focuses on silver, and that's true. But, but I do talk a ton about uh, just about everything we talked about in this video today uh, markets, uh, about uh, economies, and, and, and debt, and. And I don't delve into politics as much as, as you do, Lewis, but um, I cover a little bit of this as well because all this is kind of inherently uh, political in the first place. But, yeah, uh, Silver Fortune on YouTube. Okay. Well, me, it's uh, YouTube. Every night I do a live stream, 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Everyone's welcome to join that. Then I post the videos on BitChute. I have a lively Twitter account, uh, Facebook, Steemit, Minds.com. And smoggle.com is the best place to go. If you want to see the charts that I produce, they're easier to see than trying to look at them on your uh, YouTube screen. So please check that out. Yeah. All right. Awesome. And, and yeah, I should add that your, your website is a great source for information and charts and, and all of that because it's, uh, it's nicer to look at than just the raw data for sure. Yes. Thank you yes. very much, Matt. Thanks, yeah. everyone. Yep. Have a great evening.